This is Bellator Colloquium, a podcast of the Bellator Society. Bellator in Latin means warrior, and a colloquium is a conversation. We at the Bellator Society are online warriors for the true, good, and beautiful, and this podcast is our conversation about all those things and so much more. Meet us here weekly at Bellator Colloquium and at bellatorsociety.com for content that will hopefully lift you, inspire you, comfort you, and make you feel a part of our Bellator Society. Hey, Bellator Society, this is Tracy Eddy, and I've got Fran here with me, and we are um, on the podcast today, and of course, if you watched us on Wednesday on our live show, you saw that we had Samantha Deneef uh, joining us, and she is so generous with her time, and she's staying around and hanging out with us a little bit more so that we can uh, bring this podcast to you. So we're going to wrap up our discipleship conversation, and, and then we're going to move into charisms. So hello, Fran, and hi, Sam. Hey. I just want to apologize for myself all day today. If you watch the pot, if you watch the live show, my computer, I'm traveling to my computer was, is not syncing like it normally does. So I was helter skelter on that. And I'm, I feel like today I'm, um, I've said Sam's name wrong multiple times. So I'm going to apologize up front. (laughs) And she is such a, a saint that she is not run away yet. <laughs> so thank you. Fran, how hey, are you? I'm doing great. So I am trying to find out. So where we, I had notes, y'all. I had copious notes that of things that I wanted to talk about as usual when we were talking about discipleship. And um, I was so enthralled. That I just like kind of eschewed my notes, like didn't even look at them. <laughs> But I do have one thing that I want to talk about as kind of like maybe our bridge from talking about discipleship into charisms, because as we were saying before with Samantha, like um, once you are a disciple, like once you have dropped the nets, you got to pick something else up. Like you got to start doing something. You have to start living in a different way. And I think that feeds very well into our our discussion of charisms. But before we go there, this is something that's very close to uh, Tracy and my heart, heart's because we have different hearts. <laughs> <laughs> We're not sharing. They're not one thing, but <laughs> separate. <laughs> um, it's this idea of, uh, it's one of the the subheadings in Sherry Waddell's book, Forming Intentional Disciples, and it's on page 34. And it's, when what worked before doesn't work anymore. And we talked about this, Tracy and I did a kind of a long form video on the the philosophy and the purpose for Bellator Society. And that's, that, that's the whole thing. Like we started with this weird story about a cat and, and, and you know, and how it was, it was weird that they kept tying the cat up. And then when the cat died, they went and found a new cat so that they could keep tying it up because they thought that they just thought that's what should happen, you know, in this particular scenario. And again, they were just doing the same thing over and over and over again, because it was just what was normal. And that's not working anymore. And she makes such great points here. And one that I wanted to mention is that um, Pew researchers found that attending CCD, so that's religious education um, or catechesis classes, comma, youth groups, and even Catholic high schools made little to no difference in whether or not an American Catholic teen ended up staying Catholic, becoming Protestant, or leaving to become unaffiliated. Oh, because these are the things that we think we should be making our children do so that they will maintain the faith into adulthood. Yeah. 
So if that's not demoralizing, <laughs> nothing is. But she she cheered me up a little bit because her very next paragraph was um, she she had like a table of statistics because she's all about stats, as you mentioned, Sam. That you know if, if you like if you're a stat nerd like I am and Sam is, like this whole front of the book is going to be your jam. <laughs> it's going to be candy for you. But right after she she gives some statistics, she says the best predictor of adult attendance at religious services is a strong adult faith. So the significantly higher worship attendance of Catholics who become Protestant makes sense in terms of the very dramatic growth and strong personal faith between their uh, between their teens, 22%, and adults, 71% years. So meaning that when you have adults in your life or you yourself come to faith as an adult, you are far more likely to maintain that faith into adulthood and you know beyond is there anything beyond adulthood i don't think so. <laughs> elderlyhood I don't know. Elderly, yeah. <laughs> um, so it's not necessarily all this busy stuff that mm-hmm. we're that we're focused on and, and not that i mean youth groups are fantastic i my children go to youth groups we encourage them to you know uh, to join small discipleship groups and things like that but like there's something we got to do it differently. What is that, Sam? What do we need to do differently? Um, well, I would say the different is the focus on forming intentional disciples, which is the title of her book, Forming Intentional yes. Disciples. That, that's what's got to change. And um, I think there's a couple of different ways to look at this. Um, if we're talking big picture in our parishes, we definitely have broke, like what we're doing in our parishes don't work. And um, we talk about stats, and you can obviously see what we're doing is not working. I think what often happens is we just like see this new pretty shiny program, and we have a lot of great programs that I really love. And we're like, oh my gosh, Bishop Barron came out with this next thing. Let's throw it out there and see what happens. Yeah. Um, but that's not forming people. And I think what needs to happen is we need to start thinking about the pathways that need to happen to form intentional disciples. Hold, please. Did you just say the revolutionary idea that programming isn't forming people? (laughs) I did. I did. Tell me more about that. (laughs) I I actually want to tell you a story that I had from um, when I was a director of evangelization. There are these two programs that um, are similar. I'm not going to name them. They both did good work. I liked one a lot more than the other, um, but I had two women come to me and ask for time in the bulletin and on the altar and all the stuff that you usually do. Um, and one, one, so one, the first woman comes to me and she has this printout she wants to put in the bulletin for her scripture study program and she wants it to be announced. And I say, yeah, sure, that's fine. And then the second woman comes to me and she's like, why did that program get time and not my program? And I sat down with her and I liked the second program better. I said, you know what, do you want help? Like, can I help you build your program and get people to come? And she's like, yes. I was like, okay, then here's the deal. I guarantee you, if you if you give me a little bit of time, I'm gonna let her do her program announcements. She can do her insert in the bulletin. Hers is not gonna grow. If you work with me on personal um, invitations mm-hmm. and uh, developing friendships within your program, your program will grow. Mm-hmm. So over three years, that first program that every year would do a big push in the bulletin and have an insert and an announce from the altar. Every year, her program 
would maintain the same number of people, 10 to 12. And sometimes it would drop off based on if somebody else wanted to do something else, but 10 to 12 people. My other program tripled in size from like 10 to 12 to like 30 um, because the shift was, the program was the, wasn't the end all. Right. It was the relationships that they were building together, um, forming each other and learning about Jesus and going deeper. And um, so programs don't work. And the way we try to get people to go to programs, they just, they're not going to work. But if we focus on relationship and growing together with Jesus, then we'll see things begin to explode. And I think um, right now in our church, we have a lot of amazing uh, different ministries, mostly lay ministries that are doing amazing things out there that are talking about this and pushing this. Um, Evangelical Catholic does a baseball diamond to talk about a spiritual pathway. Uh, M3 Ministries um, with Deacon Keith Strong has a, a three-pronged approach of make disciples, mature disciples, mission disciples. That that kind of theme is there. Um, when they had the convocation, uh, which was the big gathering in Orlando several years ago, the USCCB put out a similar thing. Um, they had four steps, which was kind of funky. Theirs was encounter, accompany, community. I think they threw that in there because we're just really bad at loving one another and being hospitable. So they threw community in there and then sending forth. Yeah. So this kind of approach of like, you've got to encounter Jesus, you got to mature, and then you got to go bring other people mm-hmm. um, needs to be the backbone of everything that we do in our parishes. Mm-hmm. And it's a hard shift because everybody has to be on board. Mm-hmm. Like, um, for example, the, the first stage of encountering Jesus, um, you need to have in your parish some program or something where you can invite people to who are at early spiritual thresholds. And everybody on staff and everybody who's a key volunteer has to be on board. So like, let's say somebody calls up the parish office because they uh, need to make a meeting with the priest for confession and your secretary answers the phone and she goes, okay, that sounds great. Um, While I'm checking the schedule, have you heard about this new program we're doing called Alpha? It's an entry-level course, but I'm going to be there, and um, I think you'd really enjoy it. Why don't Why don't you come? And um, or you know, your aftermath and your usher is talking to someone, and they're like, "Hey, did you see that there's this new program called Christ Life that um, is starting up? Would you want to go with me?" Like, it needs to sh- shift to a culture of invitation yes. to really help people in that first stage. Yes. And does that make sense? It totally makes sense. And what you also said. Um, it- implicitly is that not just invitation, but participation for the people who are already there. I think that is so key because yeah. I mean, you know, field of dreams here, but if you build it, they will come. But if you're not there, why would they come? <laughs> like, seriously, like the fact that the, that yeah. maybe the, the parish secretary is attending a class that is maybe not part of her job description, but it kind of is. And in the same way, like if there's an RCAA program, maybe the youth minister needs to be there. You know, if there's, um, you know, people who are heads of ministries showing up so that it, there is this this evidence of a lively faith community. I mean, because I do think that 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 community piece is super important because yeah. if there's if people aren't there and it's only the new people who are showing up with this one weirdo guy standing in the front, you know, tr- trying to trying to pontificate to them, they're going to go away. They just will. Well, yeah. And that community, like that's um, one issue I have with how we run RCIA programs. And is that what we do is we take all our new people, put them together, spend yeah. a year with them. Let's have them form a community. And then we just like throw them out into the church. And it's like, see ya. And that's why in 
I think the stat is within five years, 50% of them are no longer practicing Catholics. I didn't so, know that. Yeah, wow. it, it's bad. <laughs> it's not yeah. good. Um, because you would think if they're entering as adults, then they have made a decision that is going to be an adult decision that, that you know, is is maintained through their life. But you're saying 50% of those people are not maintaining the faith that they decided on. Probably right. at great cost, to right. some of them at least. That's yeah, bonkers. They commit to weekly, for most programs, weekly, you know, August through whenever Easter is that year, I'm weekly going to be here. You know, that's a, that's a huge commitment for adults, especially yeah. adults with kids that I had come through. Um, I have lots of issues. I love RCI and I have lots of issues with how we run it. <laughs> um, but like, that's part of the problem is like, we, we don't integrate all our community together. And I think one reason we don't is because, um, especially at some of our bigger parishes, we're so busy running 8,000 different programs. Yep. Like, well, how can we all do it? But if we simplify, and there are just a couple of things that we run really, really well that we expect everybody to go through, um, I think that's when you see a lot of fruit and you see a culture change. Because now the conversation isn't about like, oh, have you tried this new program by Jeff Cavins? The conversation is, oh, you haven't done our new entry program, Christ Life, yet? Mm-hmm. Um, you need to do it. It's the best program. And then after that, you go into your small group. And then after that, we talk about charisms. Where is God calling you specifically? Um and then how do we support you in that in that call? Before we talk about charisms, can you backpedal just a little bit and yeah. tell me why and how you think we can do RCIA better? Because I am all on board for that, but I want to know your ideas. What makes RCIA look better to you? Um, a focus on discipleship and spiritual stages. Um, most programs have like a set amount of speakers. This is what the topic is. Sometimes without any like attention to like uh, a spiritual development (laughs) like you can't put um they put like kind of deep catechesis sometimes at the beginning and i'm like why why is that in the first several months like we just need to talk about like who jesus is because sometimes people come in and they have no idea like Mm -hmm. literally no idea or they have a lot of people have wrong ideas about who jesus is and um so i think that's key i think meeting one-on-one like your director or um, some of your team that you've trained very well need to meet one-on-one with the people to hear their backstory. I was amazed at how many people don't do that. So like they take their little survey. So, you know, like, oh, this person was Baptist growing up. And then you make all these assumptions about them. Mm-hmm. But sometimes you get in there in the conversation and they had an amazing encounter with Jesus in second grade and they're already intentional disciples. Mm-hmm. And so for them, the program should look very different than a program for someone who was raised atheist, never really went to church. Like yeah. it needs to be more centered on the person that you have in front of you. Not like, here's my program, go through it. Here's your stamp of approval. Yes. It needs to be, and I was moving towards this when I was in RCA, starting to make an individual plan to where we'd sit down. I'd hear their faith story. And I had some documents that I could use to kind of walk them through it. If they'd never talked about it before. Um, and we'd sit down on a regular basis to actually um, talk about their faith. Actually, if you really want to know what we should do for RCIA, we should do what the RCIA text says because nobody does what the actual text says. What like, say? for, <laughs> <laughs> for example, so there's, you know, the right of acceptance that happens in December and there's the right of election that happens um, at the beginning of Lent. So like at both of these rights beforehand, you're supposed to sit down with them and say like, are you ready 
Nobody does that. Um, before the right of election, you're supposed to get your team together and publicly debate if that person has had a spiritual change. Like, wow. you're, it's in the right. Like, we're supposed to debate whether or not we have seen you spiritually change. So that Are might actually ready? mean that you have to see them outside of class. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I get them integrate. Like, a big part of RCA is supposed to be community, and yet we just take them and put them in a class on mm-hmm. one night a week. And then, like, they don't know anybody else. Yeah. You know, well, they, they're like, not part of our community. I'll take it one step further. I My children came um, to our family through adoption, and my older two were baptized um, Russian Orthodox. And so as you know, my priest told me we accept them. They don't accept us. So they were good. <laughs> they were baptized, had all their sacraments of baptism, but my youngest would just turn six at, at our final adoption. And she, that's the age of reason. So she had to go through RCIC. Mm-hmm. That's super fun. Uh, <laughs> she did. She spoke Russian. <laughs> And I'm like, okay, here we are. <laughs> so I'm kind of trying to like imagine, you know, how that would have looked different. Because it was, it was like my six-year-old, a seven-year-old, a 15-year-old, you know, just depending on family circumstances. Wow. And, and again, child didn't really speak English. And so, and, and her language was really developing fast at that point. So she was, you know, picking up, I guess, what she could, but... um Oh my gosh. How do you teach a teenager the same as you would teach a first grader? I can't. I can't even imagine. I mean, so what I did a lot for RCI stuff, and especially RCIC, which I will admit, I I was, I, I don't love RCIC. It's actually not in the right. And like with a lot of our church documents, I feel like there's a strong case to be made that like instead of an RCIC program where you're following a book, you should be looking at the parents and helping them form the kids. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are probably catechists who would like crucify me over my RCIC programs that um, I let slide. Okay, look, <laughs> I got an uncle in Arkansas who's a deacon. I can get her baptized, and then she'll just be with her class. And um, and he was a rule follower, and um, and it actually was a good experience for oh, her. Good. A beautiful experience for our family. And and my husband's great uncle was able to give her first communion, which um, just made it such a special occasion for her. Yeah. And um, and she loves that, and she loves that story about you know her her coming into the church and everything. But as far as like what she learned and a spiritual awakening or change. Yeah, (laughs) you know, I I don't know either when they're when you're teaching a second grader and like a a teenager at the same time. Yeah. So go ahead. I was going to say my prayer is that through our family life and through our family faith that, you know, she's baptized, she's confirmed the whole nine yards, received her first communion, um, you know, first reconciliation, but that her her faith life grows and matures just like my other children. as she gets older through our family domestic church and, and mm-hmm. how well, we- and you guys are the first evangelist, right? Like, anytime the church tries to take that away from parents, um, it really upsets me. And we like to do it a lot. We like to say like, Nope, this is my first communion program. This is how it's going to run. You've got to jump through my hoops to get here. Right. Um, and, and really like what I started doing and I made a lot of mistakes too. So, but what I started doing was sitting down with the parents and talking about what do you want? What's going to work for your life? Like, let's look at, um, like, I'd have, you know, split households where mom doesn't really want kid to, doesn't want to be dropping the kid off every week at this thing. And dad really wants them to be Catholic. Like, okay, well, 
you know, missing 50% of classes. She's not going to learn stuff. It's like, what can we do instead? And so we've come up with personal plans yeah, that's to really awesome. help kids at different ages. Um, and then also just like where someone's at spiritually, like if someone came to, I ran two programs a lot of years. I had my, um, my regular year long RCIA program, which went through the spiritual stages, started off slow and got deeper and deeper. And then I had another one that skipped the whole first stage of developing a personal relationship with Jesus and started with catechesis because I had people who were coming to me who had been thinking about the Catholic church for 10 years and knew just as much as I did about the Catholic church. Like they had already done all their research. They don't need, and, the, and they were already baptized. And RCIA is actually, anybody who's baptized is not supposed to be in RCIA. <laughs> They're not supposed to be there. They have a completely different track. Um, but yeah, because we want the numbers, we just like lump them in. Um, so they would go through a, a different track that worked on deepening their relationship, clearing up any catechesis stuff um, to get them into the church. And I also didn't make them wait all the way till Easter. Because sometimes, like I had one woman who came to me who was having visions, having visions. And um, I was like, she's ready. Like she's been ready. She, she was, she's been ready for a long time. She's having visions. She's talking to the saints. Like she's she a had, freaking mystic. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yes. right. And I'm like, she needs the Eucharist now. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to make her wait a year. She's already been baptized. There, there's nothing I was like, you're going to meet with Father, and we're going to have a conversation. And she met with me once, she met with Father once, and then she became Catholic and is a strong practicing Catholic. Um, but she didn't, she didn't need a year of classes of stuff she already knew. And I made sure she got plugged into a small group. Or I had one person who had gone to Mass for like 10 years with their spouse, or more, 10 or maybe 20 years, like a long time with yeah. their spouse every Sunday, and wanted to become Catholic. But because our classes were on a night of the week that she worked, mm-hmm. she was told she couldn't. God. And when I met her and I heard that, I was like, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> Let's talk. And so we came up with an individualized plan to bring her into the church. Like, just because my schedule means that RCI meets on Thursdays, but you work on Thursdays, is not going to prevent you from coming into the church and into mm-hmm. full communion. I have a very similar story of a family friend like that. But yeah, just became Catholic recently, raised all his kids Catholic, went to Mass every weekend with his wife and my my dad was his sponsor and I'm like wait what well and dad said apparently he's been wanting to do it for 40 years but it never it never fit in the schedule you know unfortunately with four children and working and you know couldn't make that Tuesday night or Wednesday night or whatever it was yeah uh, or at least consistent enough to like you said to to learn what you're supposed to learn but again he'd been going to mass you know pay for multiple Catholic weddings, like, yeah. like he, he's in, he's, he's a believer, but, um, but it's just a formality. Sometimes I think we get just like the cat so hung up on a formality and a mm-hmm. process and this is how we do it. And this is how it has to be done. Um, and yet at the same time, forgetting what the actual texts and form information processes are like, we're making it yeah. up over and over and over again and forgetting actually the church has 
actually has a formal process for this. And this is what it looks like. It doesn't look like going to one class every week for six months. Like that's right. not actually what it looks like to become Catholic in, the, in, in this church. Man, y'all, we could talk about this stuff forever. Sorry. <laughs> you got me on RCIA. Oh, I know. And I love it. I love it. It's like my favorite thing. <laughs> Can we like mid podcast change the subject to RCIA <laughs> Reformation? This <laughs> switch. Okay, you know what? We're just gonna have to say we're gonna have to do this again. We're gonna we're gonna have like a whole podcast on RCIA. I see this coming. If you're open to it, so that we need to do this. But let's switch gears to charisms because okay. once somebody has, um, just as we said before, dropped their nets, they they have been discipled in the way of Jesus, and they're in the church. Um, now what? Now what? Okay, now is the fun part of trying to figure out what the heck God wants to do with you. <laughs> Um, and I guess I want to backtrack a little bit. A lot of my knowledge on charisms comes from the Catherine Orsiana Institute. They have something called the called and gifted workshop. Um, and they also have called and gifted small groups. And how I found them was I was in a, um, actually a ministry position where I knew I wasn't using the gifts that God had given me. I didn't quite have the language to describe what exactly was going on, but I knew it wasn't the right fit. And so I got online and I Googled retreats, just looking for a retreat. And I really didn't want to do it in my diocese because I didn't, I was going to discern like leaving my job or try to figure out what the heck God wanted me to do. And I found one in Memphis and it was this called and gifted workshop. I was like, oh, I'll do that. <laughs> so not really knowing what I was getting into, I went on this called and gifted workshop and they teach you about charisms, which are these gifts that God gives you, not for you, but for other people. Um, and it helps direct your entire life. Um, and it, it was so eye-opening and so amazing. Um, and I loved it. And when I left that workshop, I knew I was going to quit my job <laughs> So, because I wasn't using any of the charisms, any of the gifts that God had given me for other people, even though I was in a ministry job, um, I wasn't using anything that God had given me. Now you're supposed to, what they do in this workshop is they give you like an inventory. You take like a cool little personality test kind of thing. And, um, they give you lots of options of different charisms you might have. And um, then you're supposed to go and discern for a while if you have that charism or not in like a small group. And you have a uh, telephone interview with a spiritual director to help you start kind of figuring out what you have. Because just because you take the inventory doesn't mean you have the charisms that come up in the inventory. Um, but here's what was so amazing. I scored really high in evangelization. And I knew walking out that I had it. Um, I didn't have to discern that one because it was so strong in me. And then I, I scored really high in pastoring, which I was pretty sure I had. Um, so I know I'm a female and I said the word pastoring, but it, it's like taking care of the spiritual needs of a group. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so I went back, I quit my job. I didn't know what I was going to do. Um, and within, I think like three days later, I got a phone call from somebody and they said, Hey, there's this position, it's a director of evangelization, and they're going to be pastoring small groups. Um, <laughs> would you be interested? <laughs> I was like, yes, thank you, Jesus. That would be my job. <laughs> so I interviewed and got that job and got like sprinkled so much grace and so many miracles through that. But I've loved charism since then because it, it, direct, it directs my whole life. And I think there's different levels. You can talk about how important knowing charisms is, is like on a personal level. Um, you can know what, you feel so much freedom in saying, yes, I can do this because 
I know I'm an evangelist and this is what evangelists do. And you can say, no, Father, I really don't want to be in music ministry because I, not just because I can't sing, but because I don't have that charism. <laughs> or, um, you know, <laughs> no, I'm not going to teach your small group because I don't, I don't have the charism teaching. I have hospitality. I can host a small group, but I'm not going to teach um, a small group. And so it gives a lot of freedom um, to you to say yes and no, because you're, you're not saying yes or no to Father or to your faith formation director. You're saying yes or no to the plan that God has for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and on the flip side, when your faith formation director or your priest has an understanding of these, he can be looking for them in people and developing them. Because one thing that's great about charisms is they're gifts for other people, but God also works supernaturally in them, which means that it's not just a natural talent or a natural skill or something that you're good at and you see a little bit of fruit from like supernatural fruit should be happening mm-hmm. um, from these charisms that you're living. Um, so, you know, when I was in faith formation, I would often meet with people one-on-one and we'd, we'd talk about this at some point and I'd always be looking for it in people uh, and helping them discern and test out what their charisms were because I only wanted volunteers that I knew would produce supernatural fruit. Mm-hmm. So, um, for example, I had a volunteer who would come early to all my events, set up all my events, bring amazing sweets, and she was so sweet. And like when you walked in, you felt loved. Now, I feel like a lot of faith formation directors, if they see somebody who's showing up early and doing stuff like that, would be like, oh, you should lead a small group. <laughs> oh, you yeah. should speak in front of the church on this thing. Um, but that was obviously not her charism her charism was hospitality yes she just made you feel warm and welcome and so since i knew that i wasn't asking her to teach or to be a catechist i was asking her to do the things that i knew would produce supernatural fruit like Mm -hmm. will you be my hospitality person for this event will you host a small group i've got somebody else who will team up with you to do all the teaching and who i know has a teaching charism you know and once you start looking at people that way too um I think it helps them say yes to the things that God's calling them to. And it gives them permission to say no. Yes. I love that because I do think one of the problems that we have in the Catholic church and maybe in all churches, I, I don't know, is that we're just looking for the warm bodies that show up mm-hmm. and whatever, if your blood is pumping and you know, you're alive, then could you do all of these things because you showed up and people get so burnt out that way too. I mean, it's not that we're not just using we're not using their spiritual gifts. We're not using their charisms, but we're actually stifling their charisms by making them do all of these other things that they are not equipped to do. And any human being would run from that eventually, or just like, or or just fizzle out. And I've seen that so many times where you just like drop the ball because I'm doing everything. And it's just, oh, it's so hard. So I'm so thankful that there are ministers out there, that there are (laughs) faith formation directors and evangelism directors who are actually oriented towards the individual like what can you do what is your gift for the church that is fantastic well many hands make light work you know Mm -hmm. if if, and lord willing each person has a different charism or different set of charisms and if if you've got someone such as yourself who can say okay you have this and this and you have this and this it's like you're using everyone's best gift Mm -hmm. to make you know a fabulous product or a fabulous um, um, program or whatnot. So, gosh, how do we, so how do we do this? How do we do this and get this in churches where they, they use the body of Christ 
in a way that is productive and like you said, supernatural. Mm-hmm. I think, um, so on an individual level, you can uh, look at going through a called and gifted workshop and talk it up. And, and I think it really wasn't that hard to get people to go to this. Um, even people who aren't involved in the church, because when you say like, you're going to help discover your gifts, like, I feel like people are excited about that. Like, they can't often get online to take like your Myers-Briggs test or, you know. Oh, yeah. People like, like to be put in categories. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and it's so helpful. And it's so amazing. Um, you know, you can talk to it about it with your, uh, there's so many different ways to run it now with the Catherine of Siena Institute. And um, they have like an online option now. You can bring in the speaker. You can always say like, hey, I'll help pay for the speaker. <laughs> That's always helpful um, or help fundraise for to bring in the, the speaker. Um, there's also Jen Fulweiler. Um, she came out with a book, I believe, called The Blue Flame, mm-hmm. which is very similar to, to this concept of finding what your spark is and using it. Um, I haven't read her book yet. Like, it's still pretty new. Um, but I think for individuals, like, starting to discern and think about what is God calling me to, what are some of my gifts is really important. Um, side note here, I would say the only hard thing about this is that really to discern, you do have to already be a disciple. Like Mm -hmm. if you've never discerned anything in your life before, it's kind of hard to jump right into discerning your gifts because discerning isn't just decision-making. Um, it's prayerfully talking with God back and forth about, about what it is. Um, but what's good about the called and gifted workshop is they walk you through discernment. So you can get um, a little bit, a, a little mini lesson in, in how to discern. Um, I think just you as an individual going through or starting to be aware of people's gifts and affirming them in other people and also um, telling them when they don't have that gift <laughs> is good too. Gently. <laughs> Gently. Yeah, I, had a, I, I had a small group before COVID hit and um, we were talking about uh, taking um, our small group through this um, and one of the things that I scored high in is teaching. And, and it made sense that I scored high in it because I was director of evangelization. I was, I was teaching event, like um, RCIA and different classes and stuff. Um, and one of my RCIA teammates was on my small group. And I told him I was discerning teaching. And he pretty quickly said, you don't have that. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I tried. Now, he has it. I, knew, I know he has it because I've seen him work and um, I've seen the fruit from it. And I realized as I was discerning that I have the gift of evangelization, which is different than teaching. Um, teaching focuses more on, in the church cate- catechesis, um, helping people really understand hard concepts. It can also, charisms can also take place outside the church. So if you are a teacher teaching second graders how to read, like you might be using that charism there. Um, evangelization is more about spreading the good news and opening up people's hearts. And so even though I was teaching, um, in an RCIA class, when I was most effective was when I was using the topic to evangelize, right. if that makes sense. Yes. And so, but it was good because I had someone who understood charisms and could very quickly like save me a lot of time. Be like, yeah, no, you don't got it. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I know, I've, I've heard people say, j- just like you said, well, I took a test and, and according to the test, I have this charism and I'm like, hmm, really? <laughs> Okay. Well, <laughs> I mean, who am I to say, you know, because, because um, I like, for example, I know my kids did it at school, did, took, took the test or whatever, and it kind of came up with their top, whatever 
charisms. Um, and we've had people on the show before who have said, well, what's your charism? And I'm like, I got no clue. Um, so I think it's in, 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 it was Christy Bentley, who's a contributor and she was interviewing Fran and I just to, um, kind of a series we were doing. Um, and so it was just Christy and I, and she started trying to come up with like, well, I think your charism might be, cause she's very, um, well-versed in it. Just, um, just like you are. And so I think it's nice also to have somebody who knows charisms and wants mm-hmm. to know you maybe can help you pull out what, what they see as your charism. It doesn't mean that's what it is, but um, so that's really interesting. Yeah. I love it. Okay, there's so many more things that we can say about charisms. Are there any things that we need to, so we, we mentioned the uh, Catherine Sienna Institute, if people wanna go online, I believe that, that, that the inventory is available, isn't it on their website? I think so. I think so too. Um, so if someone's interested in exploring their charism like today after they listen to this, then they can go to the Sienna Institute website and and look up um, charisms. Um, also at the end of Sherry Waddell's Forming Intentional Disciples book, she talks about charisms. So that's a good intro. Like if you want to have a, a you know, a, a one and done primer on discipleship and charisms, I mean, this is a great place to start for sure. What What else would you recommend, Sam? Um, I mean, those, those are my go-tos for more information on charisms. On charisms. Okay. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, I mean, we definitely want to have you back because we, there are lots of things that we touched on that I'm like, we've got to spend more time on that. But I know that we're running up on time uh, for this podcast. And again, you've been so generous, um, with your time, uh, with us this morning. So we always end our podcasts with a little um, last little bit because we can never stop talking. Like we always are like, well, there, that could be a whole new podcast. Let's <laughs> expand on I've that. 15 things to say on discipleship right now, but I'm not going to because <laughs> hours so um, we all, so we do our last little bits and we'll let you go last since you're our guest and you may not have thought of one yet, but Trey, do you have one? You want me to go first? What do you think? Um, I don't care. I can go. Do you really have 15 things in front of you? two or three okay at least or four um <laughs> no so my last little bit is not going to be anything about discipleship because it will i think that'll it'll um, go into a longer conversation so we'll just have to do that again later um but my last little bit is that we recently took our children to notre dame because my husband like many catholic men growing up i think envisioned themselves maybe playing football for <laughs> and john eddie is no no is no of exception and so we were on kind of a, we had a little bit of a cross-country road trip um, this summer. And so we thought, well, let's just drive the kids. And well, let's go to Fort Wayne. Neither of us have been in there. Let's go take our kids. If you believe that the Lord gives you little miracles to kind of open up your eyes, listen to this. We get there. Our hotel's like kind of on campus. And there's this real cute um, shopping area. It's got like the... the Notre Dame store where you can get all your merch. It's got fun little restaurants, um, like a little 7-Eleven even, but it's all walking. It's beautiful. Eddie Street. Eddie Street as an E-D-D-Y, our last name. And um, I know, isn't that cool? And so it's the main drag. And so like one way is all the like shopping, but the other way is the stadium. And he's like, the Notre Dame Stadium is on Eddie Street. <laughs> I'm like, it's a sign. I don't know what it's a sign of, but it's a sign. 
It's a miracle. I don't know why it's a miracle, but it feels miraculous. How fun is that? It's, it's like Notre Dame Drive and Eddie Street. Wow. Oh, isn't that cool? Did you yeah. ever see your name on a street? Yeager? Side? No. No, I don't. don't. <laughs> That's all I got. We took so many pictures, but it was awesome. If you've never, oh my, we walked 15 miles. Oh, wow. In one day. Just it's awesome. It. it was beautiful. And nobody's there because of Corona. Yeah. yeah. And so it was like this magical, you know, this campus that we had all to ourselves. We were like a random person here and there, but it's not like, there was hustling and bustling students, but we were, we were able to go to mass, which was awesome. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the Basilica there is gorgeous. And then the grotto, they have a grotto, um, on Notre Dame campus, if you're not familiar with the campus. Um, and I, John and I went to Lourdes when my mom was six. So it's very close to our heart. Um, and so they have a, like a miniature grotto. It's like a third of the size, but it has, you know, um, piece of the stone from the original grotto. And it was just really a cool, um, little side trip and my our name's on the street side <laughs> that's awesome, awesome. Well, that's I mean, super awesome you, yeah so it made our day Yep. I love it. Um, I would say my, my last little bit is maybe another recommendation. Um, I am definitely a podcast junkie. In fact, we're working on a um, podcast database of sorts uh, that we had a pod. We actually had a podcast about podcasts with a couple of priests from Little Rock. (laughs) We're still working on getting that document um, out for everybody. But uh, there is one podcast that I would like to mention that covers a lot of what we've been talking about in terms of the live stream and discipleship and charisms and just accompanying people in their their faith journey their you know their 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 life in Christ and it's every knee shall bow it's an ascension um, press uh, podcast and the hosts are Dave Van Vickle and Michael Gormley and uh, they do a really good job of covering a lot of um, topics having to do with evangelization I mean that that's what they're both doing for a living so that's their jobs um, but there's one particular that um, every every time you 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 mentioned like doing something gently, Sam, I thought of this particular podcast because I just listened to it and it was their one from the beginning of July. It might've even come out on July 1st and it's called, um, confronting sin or discipleship and confronting sin. Whoa. It is so fantastic because, you know, you, you mentioned that a lot of people have this idea of, um, evangelizing people, like the people standing on the street corner, like, you know, repent or you will go to hell sort of stuff. Right. And while that might be effective for some, (laughs) probably not the majority of people. And so how do we, as we're walking with people um, towards discipleship or discipling them, how do we bring the idea of sin into the picture in a way that just, as you said, is gentle and appropriate and you know, that, that speaks truth about the relationship you have with them, that speaks truth about their relationship to sin, their understanding of sin, you know, whether it's habitual sin, whether it's, you know, and even, even the difference between venial and grave sin, because venial sins, you know, as they add up in our lives, draw us ever further away from friendship with God. They're they're not, they're not truncating the friendship like a mortal sin does, but they do make us more inclined to not live in godly ways. And so they did, in this particular podcast, a fantastic job of giving practical tips to evangelizing and discipling people um, by helping them understand sin in their own life. And spoiler alert, a lot of that comes from humility and understanding how it affects our own lives. So um, 
I was just that that's my last little bit. That's a really good podcast from Every Knee Shall Bow. And the title of the podcast is I think Discipleship and Confronting Sin. So it'll be in the show notes. Yep. Right? Sure. <laughs> okay. Because I won't remember it. <laughs> Sam, do you have something, a last little bit to share? Oh, a last little bit. Um I would say like wherever you're at in your spiritual journey, um, know that God wants you to go deeper. Like even if you think you're already pretty deep mm-hmm. or maybe um, through our conversations, you've realized that maybe you're more of a cultural Catholic than you thought you were like God's grace and invitation is there. And he's just holding out his hand waiting for you to take it. And um, I just really want to encourage you to take it, uh, to jump in, to dive in because the adventure, the desires of your heart, um, that that will all come true you will you will realize all the desires everything that you've ever wanted will come true once you jump in to being in an intimate relationship with jesus and i think intimacy is so key don't keep god at arm's length you should be more intimate with god than you are with anybody else with your family with your friends with your spouse like that intimacy is what god seeks and it's what you're seeking too and um I just want to encourage you to take that next step, no matter how big or how little it is in your faith walk to grow in intimacy with him. Oh, I love it. Thank you. That's a good last little bit. (laughs) Y'all, it's it's been such a great conversation and uh, we just appreciate your time. And hopefully again, like Fran said, we can do this again because I think there's a, there's so much more there there. So (laughs) thanks y'all have a good day. Thank you. Bye y'all. Thanks for joining us today on Bellator Colloquium. Please look for Bellator Society on everything social, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. And if you like what we're doing here on this podcast, we would love for you to share that with us. Rate us on iTunes to help us get the word out and share, share, share. We cannot wait to chat next time right here on Bellator Colloquium, the conversation for online warriors for the true, good, and beautiful.